As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. We will halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt. Nothing's changed. The circus moves on, rinse and repeat. We have an opportunity to become Europe's Silicon Valley. We can perhaps be a broker of some sort with Ukraine. We expect inflation to come off quite rapidly in the rest of this year. Obviously, we want to see that happen. What we now need is a period of stable, quiet, serious government. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, it really does feel like the summer holiday energy has set in here in London, even if the weather is not as scorching as it is on the continent. There's only a week left of Parliament sitting before MPs and teachers and school children get some time off. It is, though, a pretty major week, actually, for Rishi Sunak, having said all of that. And so we've grabbed our UK government reporter, Alex Wickham, to explain why. Alex, firstly, though, are you looking forward to a little holiday this year? I remember you and I last year, we were looking at a summer holiday that was jam-packed with meetings up and down the country because the Tories were fighting over who was going to be their next leader. A summer without a Tory leadership contest would be very welcome, I think, for, for political journalists and probably the wider country as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having said that, we're going out with a bang in terms of this uh, parliamentary session. Rishi Sunak, is starting this week talking about capping poor quality university degrees. He'll go on then to face the inflation data for the UK that comes out on Wednesday, three by-elections on Thursday, oh, plus a vote on the illegal migration bill, the strikes bill, you've got strike action by junior doctors, consultants, the RMT, and also the Prime Minister's got to find a new defence secretary. Um, quite a long list then. Yeah, don't worry, we can give you one more week of uh, fun before before we all go away. I mean, it, it is a huge week for on both an economics front and a politics front uh, yeah. for, for the country. I mean, it really could define, you know, how we look at the next few months with the inflation figures on Wednesday. Do we get something moving in the right direction? I mean, you certainly hope so. If you're, if you're Rishi Sunak, if it doesn't, then that's going to be bad. And with the by-elections, you know, lose all three and you're in a pretty rock-bottom narrative. But if they pick one up, you know, then he could start to say, well, I'm on the, I'm on the right track. Things are looking up. You yeah. Well, that's it, isn't it? Do you think that it really is so finely balanced? Because uh, the air has been pretty despairing, I'll say, amongst conservative figures, it would seem. Do they just need some time off on a beach somewhere or is it more serious than that? I think they need time off on a beach and I think they need time to sort of, you know, refresh their CVs and, and look for, look for mm. some new jobs, I think, is, is probably what they're really doing over the next, uh, you know, next year or so. I mean, the thing is, 
we can get and you know if you speak to people in number 10 mm. they all say to journalists look you're so negative all the time you you say the economy's going in the wrong direction you say the tory poll numbers are going in the wrong direction well i mean they are we're just reporting what's happening but they do see and they have to be optimistic you know they do see a world where things do turn around for them at least mm. maybe not you know a huge Tory majority or anything like that or you know booming growth for for Britain but they do see a world where things maybe do swivel a little bit and go, don't go quite so bad and I think that's what you know this week we might start to answer that question about whether there's any chance that could happen. Yeah okay in terms though of actually how united the party is I mean that's also going to be crucial as we get this kind of slew of votes on you know all the bills kind of they try to jam them out before the end of summer and it's going to be a lot about party unity. Yeah and that's the thing that's really going to come under strain we, we're starting to see really tricky signs we saw it over public sector pay cabinet briefings to the media you know trying to push the government into accepting all these pay rises eventually they did but it took some arm twisting to get there that's not a sign of a happy place you see it with ben wallace going public with his you know defense secretary uh, with his with his you know plans to resign yeah. it, you know that again is not really a sign that everything's going swimmingly the most popular guy in the cabinet probably um so there, there are definitely things bubbling over and you know there is the flip side of what we we're just talking about is that things do go pretty badly this week and then Tory MPs really are in a bad mood as they go away to the summer and they can sit back with their with their local constituencies they go back to their families and and things do really get quite quite dark and you know Rishi Sunak comes back in 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 September with you know a lot of problems in terms of his own party management. Okay so rumours then of a reshuffle coming I mean that was the whole thing to do with the defence minister wasn't it and um why is Sunak eyeing a reshuffle sort of now? And then who do we have our eyes on? It's a really good question. And, you know, speaking to someone pretty senior in number 10 a couple of weeks ago, they were sort of saying, well, you know, we don't actually know why we would do a reshuffle at the moment. And they were sort of talking down the prospect of an immediate reshuffle, mm. um, but saying that one could happen in September. I think the general idea is that they want to get their best team, you know, ready for an election campaign. You know, by September, it'll be sort of 12 months-ish to an election, and they want to have their most exciting, future-looking uh, people in place. There are people perhaps like the uh, Environment Secretary, Therese Coffey, who's had a bit of trouble on Thames Water recently. Some of, the, some of these sort of people who perhaps poll a bit less well might you know might be moved out for some younger faces you know, that's the sort of thing that we're looking at but now we've got the defense secretary vacancy uh, uh, opening up and that is you know one of the biggest jobs obviously with the war going on even bigger than normal it's a huge role to fill the jostling for that role will be immense because any Tory candidate who wants to you know be the next leader of the party will be yeah. will be looking at that job thinking I can I can boost my popularity if I get that so uh yeah who's got the sharp elbows then you've got a list of kind of runners and riders of people who might be in the frame then for that big job yeah and it's obviously ones with defense backgrounds so the security minister Tom Tugendhat will, mm. will absolutely you know have, have fancy it um even the foreign secretary James cleverly uh, might jump across you know might might like that idea um but you know there's there's others james heapy who's a who's a who's a mid-ranking defense minister could could be promoted i mean the the sort of uh the the galaxy brain thinking is that sunak's had a lot of arguing with the mod over the last uh, year or two over fi- fi- funding for funding, the department yeah. and he might stick someone from the treasury in there to john glenn perhaps to to sort of uh, calm all that down i don't think that would go down very well with uh, the sort of military top brass 
but um, or, or Tory MPs. But you know, the, it is a, a huge uh, job to fill, and uh, certainly one that a lot of Tory MPs will want. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's a really um, interesting thought. Look, we've. Um, also talked about electorally, um, when we add everything together, uh, I suppose whether or not this is salvageable. And so I'll factor into this inheritance tax. All of a sudden, the Times reported over the weekend that the government is holding talks about scrapping inheritance tax. I mean, to my mind, this really felt like throwing the kitchen sink at the kind of electoral problem. Did it feel that way to you? Yeah, it's it's definitely true that for some months the Tories, longer to be honest, the, the Tories have been thinking about this. Rishi yes. Sunak, when he was Chancellor, I'm told, was really keen on the idea of a, you know, it's a couple of years ago, but he was really keen on the idea of a, of a pre-election you know, inheritance tax uh, reform, you know, all the way, either cutting it or all the way through to scrapping it. It's a tax that is loathed by Conservatives, um, you know, seen as an unfair death tax, all the rest of it. However, However, it was reformed by David Cameron and George Osborne. It is paid by a you know, relatively small number of estates, uh, you know, the richest estates uh, in the country. It is. It would be regressive to, to scrap mm. inheritance tax. There, there's no doubt about that. So there is only one conclusion that you can draw from that, which is that the political strategy of the Conservative Party is to retreat and protect, try to protect their base. It's wealthy okay. families, uh, households, older people in the south southeast essentially with million pound plus houses that are worried about you know passing that on to their children and it, and it is a it is a bit last ditch if they seriously do you consider doing this that would suggest that they are really just looking to prevent an annihilation at the election rather than do anything serious to make inroads into into labor or marginal seats mm, i suppose um how much have we seen this with rishi sunak in terms of floating ideas in the public space in the public sphere before then making a decision. I feel like we've seen quite a lot of that with his administration. We do. We get these briefings quite often to placate Tory right-wing MPs and, mm. and members and voters. You know, we talk about things like on the on immigration, on the European Convention of Human Rights. You know, we hear we hear briefings that, oh, you know, well, if we don't get our way on the Rwanda policy of deporting migrants, we'll have to consider leaving the ECHR. You know, that idea is floated. How seriously are they considering it? Is Rishi Sunak the international statesman who loves shaking hands with Joe Biden and Emmanuel Macron and, and having these big photo opportunities with on, on the world stage? Is he really going to withdraw Britain away from all of that stuff and you know, become a sort of a bit of a pariah amongst our allies? I'd be very surprised if he actually will follow through with that. But certainly some people in number 10 like talking about it and say they're considering it. These sorts of ideas do get floated. And sometimes you do wonder how much of it is a sort of... Uh, a sop to the to the to the right to just sort of keep them happy and keep them keep them t- ticking over when when things are a bit tricky and when it comes down to it you know we saw it at the last budget not much in terms of real giveaways and mm. you know next autumn statement potentially the same yeah absolutely um a question though on the labor perspective i mean t- do they look like they're starting to realize that this might be a bit of a poison chalice economically for the uk do you think there is some level of that sort of thinking you you talk to labor people and they do appear genuinely quite depressed about the fact that you know finally 13 years out of government or whatever they're they're going to potentially get in and they are going to inherit an absolute basket case of a economy with huge structural problems you know in terms of public services but but in many other areas and you know they talk about it as a, at least a two-term project to be able to start doing what they want to actually do with the country. And the first mm. term is just sort of, you know, rebuilding from from where we are now. And 
the problem for Labour is that's quite a hard sell. You know, if you're if you're going to the public, you know, usually politicians talk about you know Barack Obama style hope and change, and you know this is this is what you want. You want to give people a bit of optimism and a positive reason to vote for you. Quite often, what you get from Labour at the moment is, look, we'll fiscal pr- prudence will be very sensible with your money we'll, we won't do a Liz Trust. I mean uh, please please don't you know that should be the bare minimum and there's some people in Labour just starting now to say come on we need to we need to do a bit more than this we What's need to a act- positive offer we need to give people something to vote for rather than just hope that they don't vote for the Tories okay just a brief last thought then what should we watch out for what do you think of all of the things this week is actually going to be the most important politically it's the by-elections. You can't get away from the, those three by-elections. I mean, there is a hope, privately, among some Tory MPs that they could just win one of them. <laughs> uh, and, you know, some of them are pretty big majorities, so it's remarkable that we're even in, the, in this situation. But expectations are absolute rock bottom. Basically, Westminster thinks they're going to lose all three. But privately, Tory MPs really hope they can have a bit of an upside surprise there for them. And, you know, if they could just hold Uxbridge, this seat in London, that, that which, you know, Labour's had some issues on the on the ULES um, car charge. And yes. there is just a chance that the Tories might scrape that through with that one. And it might just give Tory MPs a little bit of a boost. I mean, we'll see. If he loses all three, it confirms the media narrative, it confirms the polling, and it puts the Tories on a, on a worst-case scenario footing really in, into the summer and on, onward. Yeah, absolutely. Alex, thank you so much for being with me. My thanks to our UK government reporter, Alex Wickham. Great to have you on the programme. Well, of course, speaking of the issues in the UK economy, one of them is housing. Now, a quirk of covering the economics is that sometimes with such high inflation, bad news is often good news for economists. House prices, if they're falling, it means that higher interest rates are working and financially hurting homeowners and that that will eventually reduce their spending and therefore bring down inflation, which we know is painful for everyone in the economy. But it doesn't change how you feel if you own a home, if you're actually trying to buy one. Although interest rates have been going higher and higher, house prices have actually remained pretty static this year so far. Now, For the first time this year, Rightmove's data shows that asking prices started to fall in July. And I was speaking to the Director of Property Science and Innovation, Tim Bannister from Rightmove, to understand exactly why. We actually got to record prices in in, in May from from an asking price perspective. Um, But I think, yeah, the last sort of seven weeks or so since that that surprise um, CPI number when inflation was a little bit stickier than expected and then we saw the reaction from the swap rates and then we saw the reaction from the um, from the Bank of England with with, Mm -hmm. um, increasing rates again I think you know where rates now the highest they've been since 2008 understandably I think that sort of have a bit of an impact as I say, mortgage rates have been stabilising for quite some time, at sort of you know through um, February, March, um, uh, April, uh, and then they had started you know with, with that stabilisation. Perhaps some thought that they had peaked. Clearly, um, there were many twists and turns left for the year, and we've had a few in the last seven weeks. Um, we may get some more uh, from where we are through to the end of the year. So it's very difficult at the moment to sort of predict where mortgage rates are going, where, the, where what inflation will be. I think we'll get an inflation number on Wednesday. Um, and we, we really need to look at what, what that number looks like and then you know, expect we'll see yes. changes, I imagine, with what people expect the Bank of England to do. Um, so that that's sort of certainly there in terms of those changes in the mortgage rate. Having said that, you know, we are seeing... Um, SST so sold subject contract occurring. They're um, uh, they're still they're, they're about twelve percent below the levels of, of twenty nineteen. 
um, which is a little bit below where they were uh, a month ago, which is three to six percent down. Um, so it's a little bit l lower than that um, um, over the last sort of seven uh, weeks or so. And it's gone down, to, as I say, 12 percent below uh, okay. where they were in 2019. But, they, you know, we're still seeing demand. We're still seeing demands up where, compared to where it was in 2019. So, you know, people are still coming to market. Um, they're, so they're still interested in, in moving. And I think what we're seeing, what we're hearing from agents when we talk to them around the country is that, you know, properties that are priced um, competitively, they're getting a lot of interest um, and they are selling. Yeah, I, I think how much do you think then overall that the, the property shortage is going to keep prices up this year? Because a lot of the forecasts that we look at are, you know, 10 to 20 percent real term declines in property values in the UK. Is that something you'd agree with? Um, well, it's certainly not what we're seeing. You know, we, what we're seeing is demand remaining um, high compared to a, a normal year, well, compared to 3 three percent above a normal year, so heading back towards a sort of a normal year time of rate. And we're seeing um, supply, we're certainly not seeing a glut of supply. So supply is about 12% below where it was in 2019. So when you look at demand per property, again, that's above where it was in 2019 by about 20 plus percent. So that I think does add some support. You know, I don't think we're seeing many forced sellers at the moment. So we're not seeing people um, having to, to accept very, very low prices for their properties. And that you know, that's something that people look out for. Um, so we're not seeing sort of substantial drops. Um, you know, as I say, we've seen asking prices down 0.2% this month uh, compared to last month, but they're still 0.5% above where they were a year ago. Overall, I think by the end of the year, we, we predict at the beginning of the year, we forecast minus 2% um, for um, asking prices. I think we're sticking with that at the moment. So that would mean a little bit of a sort of three to five percent fall from where we are right now. So not a substantial fall, but but certainly, you know, those uh, those properties, as I say, which are priced competitively, certainly are selling. Um, people are wanting to move. Um, mm. But we think obviously when the when rates have been moving the way they have, that that does have an impact. Yeah, I mean, the other thing of interest is the knock-on effect um, that all of this has had to rental prices, which have been going up quite dramatically in the UK. And I suppose flowing from the issues both for um, mortgage payers but also for renters, what do you expect or do you think the government might do? I mean, famously, the UK government is quite interventionist when it comes to the property market. Do you see any interventions from government over the course of this year or next to try to stabilise the property market in any way? Oh, it's, it's extremely difficult to say, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yes. we, we know it's going to be it's going to be a very um, it's going to be a hotly contested um, um, issue. I think over the next uh, number of months, as we lead into the next general election, we know it's going to be a focus. What what and what what policies we might see? Um, who knows? Um, but what we can see is that, yeah, as you say, that rental market certainly remains um, a hot market. It must be extremely difficult for tenants. Um, and, and those first-time buyers that are faced with still quite, you know, prices aren't aren't coming down significantly. As I say, um, they're down 0.2% month on month um, for those first-time buyers if they're looking to buy a property. Um, and at, you know, at the same time, they're facing rental property, uh, prices which are um, continuing in some places above double-digit growth. So it, it is difficult for those first-time buyers in particular when they're making their decisions. Um, so we know that that's certainly a, a, a tough area. Um, and yeah. yes, I suppose we okay. watch this space around uh, policies that might come out. 
So that was Tim Bannister, Right Moves Director of Property Science and Innovation, just talking about what policies may emerge from government on this. Joining me now to discuss in a bit more detail is our UK real estate reporter, Damien Shepherd. Damien, great to have you on uh, the UK Politics podcast. I just want to kind of unpack the, the data, as it were, and what it means politically, because actually, if you could look at this fairly positively, I mean, a two-tenths of 1% drop is not a massive amount. And Bannister was predicting a decline for asking prices in the UK of about 3 to 5%. That's a lot less than a lot of the kind of doom-laden forecasts. Is the property market really going to be so bad? Well, I think what we're going to see is a steady fall in house prices. You, you had your doomsday forecasts, which the media and people, uh, you know, typically are drawn to. Uh, you saw um, forecasts of up to 40% being predicted towards the end of last year after the mini budget. I think what the data shows is that we are seeing falls, but they are going to be steady. Um, what that means for first time buyers is that, well, prices aren't really coming down enough to put them in a good position to buy a home right now because we've seen borrowing costs surge. We've got mortgage rates spiraling towards 7% now. So what it does, particularly if you're in the rental market, is it leaves you in not a great position if you're looking to buy your first time. Yeah. What do you think all of this means then for government? I mean, there are calls for more support. We know that government is often quite interventionist when it comes to the property market. Do you expect political repercussions? What is kind of realistically... uh, possible, I suppose, from government on this? Look, I think getting to the heart of the issue um, would be advantageous for the government. And I think the heart of the issue here is there's a lack of supply in this country um, for affordable housing and housing in general. And when you've not got enough supply of homes, you're still going to have a competitive market, even in periods of high borrowing costs and the threat of house price drops. So if not enough homes are being built and the government Mm. missed its targets from a few years ago um, of of 300,000 homes a year, then you're going to still have that competitive nature. And it's going to be very difficult for people to get on the housing ladder who don't have access to uh, the bank of mum and dad or, uh, you know, a high deposit. So I think what we could see is some hats thrown into the ring about what the government or a potential new government could do Mm. to spur more home building in this country. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's really depressing that you see stories all the time about the UK property market. We don't pride ourselves on making the greenest homes or the most efficient homes or even the most spacious homes. It's all about how expensive they are, which sort of seems a bit upside down. Um, But there's a really interesting story that you've written um, on the Bloomberg Terminal today all about the rapidly aging population the rental market and how you know we could see this really big boom and are seeing this really big boom in build to rent and that that's going to become much more of a thing but especially for older buyers which is kind of not something we think about that much yeah so what the data shows is that we're expecting to see the number of over 65s renting homes within the decade or the share of over 65s i should say doubling now obviously naturally we've got an aging population so you're going to see more elderly renters in the next 10 years but that doubling of the share 
really brings to light the pressures that people are facing when it comes to buying a home. Now, you mentioned build to rent. There's always winners and losers in this situation. And we saw last week Barrett, which is one of the biggest UK home builders, looking to prop up its reservation rates through rental sales. And I meet with investors and the build to rent space is one that's spoken about very positively moving forward. It kind of makes sense because landlords, particularly your small landlords or accidental ones, are under huge pressure at the moment. Uh, they're mainly on interest only mortgages, which feed through Bank of England rate hikes very quickly. Uh, there's energy efficiency deadlines coming up um, going through Parliament, which could see them paying thousands of pounds to get their homes up to scratch energy efficiency wise. And there's tougher regulation about getting renters out of homes and the length of contracts that renters are in for. So it mm. kind of plays into the hands of these big institutional investors who will say, well, let's build these build to rent homes. There's going to be more renters in the market. Let's capitalize on that. Yeah, that is interesting that you put it in that in those terms of kind of winners and losers. Um, having said that, it does also feel that there is a there is a kind of issue with fiscal and monetary tightening right now that rather than everybody feeling the pain equally it's, it's very specific groups that are feeling a lot of pain as you pointed out renters first-time buyers you know those who have just got the kind of mortgage timing wrong as it now turns out so you know it's really quite restricted pain and there does there is a big political debate about that too Certainly. And, and what was interesting last week, I tuned into a committee meeting and um, politicians were quizzing lenders on what they were doing for, for borrowers at the moment in this time of high interest rates. And um, one of the lenders said that the two year fixed, which is one of the shorter term mortgage periods, are actually proving more popular at the moment because those needing to remortgage are looking at the situation and saying, well, I'm going to go for a short, shorter term mortgage and bet on these interest rates coming down. So it's not great for the economy. We're putting uh, mortgage holders in quite precarious situations where they're needing to make a bet on their financial future. And as for renters, rents are spiraling um, in London and across the UK. So it's extremely difficult for them to pull a deposit together when they're giving the majority of their wages each month to a landlord who is also struggling. So as you can see, the pain is with specific groups and um, is proving to be a, a pretty bad situation for the UK property market, especially for those at the bottom. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly is a very difficult time. Um, finally, does Labour have any answers to the acute housing shortage that you've seen, Damien? Yeah, well, we've seen the, the home building uh, situation spoken about from Labour's point of view. They've said that they want to build more homes and that the, the difficult thing for the Tories is in a lot of their constituencies, there's a lot of nimbyism, um, which essentially refers to residents who aren't particularly keen on seeing home building happening in their area. They don't want the noise, the drilling. They don't want to look out their bedroom and see a new tower block being built in their town. So it's a little easier for Labour to to promise this home building because the Tories have voters to please um, who are more um, susceptible to nimbyism. So I think, as I said earlier, that the issue of supply is the heart of the housing issue in this country. Um, so we'll certainly be keeping our eye on what Labour and the Conservatives are saying they're going to do to improve that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, Damien, for being with me. Our UK real estate reporter, Damien Shepherd. Well, on all of the difficulties in the housing and rental market in the UK and what it means politically for Britain. That's it from us for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe. Give it five stars so that other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Wilcock and our audio engineer was Maru Hussain. I'm Caroline Hepke. I'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.